Some of you got a, a postcard in the mail last week or the week before, and it had this uh, would you rather question on the postcard. Would you rather talk like Yoda for the rest of your life or breathe like Darth Vader for the rest of your life? And thank you to those who scanned the QR code and voted in the uh, would you rather uh, question. Uh, some of you, I know, tried to vote, but the... Uh, the post office stamped right across your QR code and it wouldn't scan. And so we had some staff like that. Some of you mentioned that you couldn't get to the QR code because of the post office. So we're going to give you a chance to vote this morning. So think about it real quickly. Would you rather talk like Yoda for the rest of your life or breathe like Darth Vader for the rest of your life? Let's talk about, let's start with Darth Vader. How many of you would rather breathe like Darth Vader for the rest of your, <laughs> okay, heavy breathers. All right, good. Um, and how many of you would like to talk like Yoda for the rest of your life? Yes, yes. Some of you kind of talk like him now. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Good for you. I brought a few more just to practice this as we get started with this series. Uh, here, here's the next one we're going to do. Would you rather be able to move things with your mind or be able to read other people's minds? So that's the would you rather move things with your mind Read other people's minds. How many of you say, I would rather move things with my mind? All of the students, wow, that's almost like 92%. Do the math in my head. How many of you would rather read other people's minds? You're the ones that scare me. You're the ones I'm not so sure about you. All right, here's another one. Would you rather have the ability to see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years into the future? You think about that one a little bit, pros and cons of each. Would you rather see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years into the future? How many of you are 10-minute people? I want to know what's about to happen, what's coming up. How many are 150-year people? You want to know what life's going to be like 150 years from now? Yeah, that's kind of a hard choice. Uh, next one. Would you rather, I like, this is my favorite. Would you rather be forced to sing along to every song you hear? So every time, <laughs> some, of you, some of you are already ready to vote. I can see you're so excited. You're so giddy. Would you rather be forced to sing along to every song you hear or dance to every song you hear? So every time there's music, church, elevator, in the mall, every time there's music, you have to sing our dance. Where are my singers? Okay, and I'm not sure if you're singers or you're just non-dancers. I don't know, you know, you, I don't know how you're answering that question. Where are my dancers? Of course you are. I could have picked about 10 of you who are going to answer that way. Um, this next one was actually posted on ESPN Twitter this week, so I just stole it from ESPN Twitter. And it says... Would you rather your sports team, we just started NFL preseason this week, college kids are going back to fall camp, getting ready for, for football season. Would you rather your team win one championship and struggle for the next 50 years? <laughs> We're going to start this already. Or your team make the playoffs every year but never win a championship. No, the Gamecocks one is we struggle for 50 years and continue to struggle. 
All right, all right. How many of you just want that one championship and you don't care if you're terrible after that? Ah, you, you got the t-shirt, you got the hat, like you buy everything. You, you got it all and you get to keep it. How many of you want to be competitive? We may not win it, but we're going to be in it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, last one, and this is kind of a practical one. This is mine. This gets us ready to go into the message. This is kind of a practical one. When you're on a long trip, would you rather drive or ride? Do you want to be behind the wheel or in the passenger seat? Would you rather drive or ride? How many of you want to drive? You want your hands on the wheel? Yeah. How many of you want to ride? Yes, Lord. I don't know if my wife's in here, but she is a rider from the moment we get in the car. Right? She takes about 10 seconds for her head to go back and her eyes to close. No matter how far we're going. Now, on a really long trip, she'll pack books and iPads and computers, and she'll have all this work that she's going to do. And about five minutes into work, she will say, and I quote, I just need to rest my eyes a minute. <laughs> if we're driving for hours, somewhere in that drive that I've been driving the whole time, she will open one eye and say, do you want me to drive? I think, no, I want to live. I want to stay alive. You go back to sleep. I'm going to keep driving. Yeah, driving. And some of, us, some of us like to be in control. Well, it's not that we have control issues. It's just we like to be in control all the time. We like to drive. Like, um, we're, we're talking about decisions. What are the decisions we have to make? We're, we're asked to make decisions all the time in our life, uh, sometimes on a daily basis. We're making choices. We're making decisions. Should we do this or should we do that? I found that often there are, there are seasons of decisions uh, where it just seems like we're constantly making another decision. We're constantly having a, this decision led to that decision. Now I have to make these two decisions. Then we're going to have to make those decisions. And <clears throat> depending on what season you're in, you just find yourself chronically, constantly having to make big decisions. And probably most of us have experienced at least seasons of our life where we kind of smoothed out. We, we kind of could kick into neutral. We made the big decisions and we're kind of living in those big decisions, but you know as well as I do, it's not going to be long before we kind of transition back into making big decisions again. That's, that's the way life is. We're, we're constantly asked, would you rather? What do you want to do? A or B? Door one or door two? We're constantly having to figure these things out. Um, and, and, and in this series, I'm talking about big decisions, right? I'm talking about life-altering decisions in some way. Like, this is going to affect our future. It's going to change kind of our direct. This is a big decision. I'm not talking about where you're going to lunch today, okay? Although, to some of you, I know that's a big decision you're already thinking about. Um, it, but those decisions, like the lunch decision, uh, the thing about the lunch decision is if you totally blow this one, like if you totally get the wrong answer on lunch, five or six hours, you're going to make that same decision again, right? So those, are, those decisions just keep coming around, and, and you can change your decision. You can change your mind. I, I'm talking about the ones where you really have to make a big decision. You, re, you really have to make a big choice in life. And what I want to do as we start this series is I actually want to step back from the actual moment of decision chronologically, 
Like this is the point of decision. I want to back up from the point of decision because I, I think the Bible tells us that before we get to the decision, our mindset matters. There's a, a perspective that we need to have pre-decision. And our, our heart needs to be oriented in a particular way, a specific way, pre-decision, so that when we get to the decision, we're ready to make the right decision and experience the right outcomes, right? Think of it this way. Our, our pre-decision perspective, like our view before the decision, our pre-decision perspective will determine the post-decision outcome. How I'm viewing life, how I'm viewing myself, how I'm viewing my surroundings, how I'm viewing my future. My perspective is going to influence my decision. So that's why to start the series, we're just going to back up from the actual decision and say, am I looking at life the right way? Am I considering decision making from the right perspective? Uh, the book of Proverbs, which uh, if you want to find it, it's in the middle of the Bible. Psalms is the really big book in the middle. And then one book to the right is Proverbs. Proverbs is a book about choices and decision making and deciding how your life is going to go. It's written by King Solomon. Solomon is the son of King David. He's the third king in the nation of Israel. Um, in many ways, a very successful king, personally and, and even spiritually, a lot of really bad decisions. So Solomon had in his life good decisions and bad decisions that he could reflect on, that he could learn from. So he gets toward the end of his life, and he wants to put some of these ideas in a book for his kids. He wants to pass along what he's learned about life. And so he's collected sayings, and, and, and he's written some things about his life, and he's looked at his successes and his failures, and he said, you know, I want my kids to know this after I'm gone. And maybe you feel that way. Right? If you're a parent or a grandparent, or if there are people younger than you that you mentor or you care about, you know there are things you want them to know. You, you want them to learn. And, and maybe you don't want them to take as long to learn it as you did. Right? You want to say, hey, I wish I had learned this earlier. And so I'm going to tell you now, and hopefully you'll believe me, and you won't have to go through some of the stuff that... I went through. That's sort of the perspective of the book of Proverbs. Solomon just saying to his kids, <clears throat> I want you to learn some things. Now, the book covers a range of issues, everything from money management to, to time management to work ethic to honesty and integrity, just this wide range of moral issues and decisions that you and I have to make. But there is, a, there is an underlying principle. <clears throat> there is a theme on which all of the other sayings rest. Everything flows out of this one concept that Solomon wanted his kids and, and us to get and internalize. And he wanted it to shape the way we see our life. It, it, it's written in several places in Proverbs. We'll, we'll cover a couple of other places where it's written. But, but here it is in Proverbs chapter 9. This is verse 10. Solomon writes, kind of in the middle of this chapter, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <clears throat> and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There's a foundation to wise decision making. It's a principle. And anybody who studies this book or writes about this book or writes a commentary on this book, they all say the same thing. This whole book is written on top of this principle. This undergirds everything else. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we can add to that, right? Experience helps give us wisdom. Wise friends help give us wisdom. Reading wise people gives us wisdom. But Solomon's really clear. You know where it starts. You know where you get the the right perspective when it comes to wisdom is when you have a a heart and a mindset that fears the Lord. That views God with reverence and awe for the strength and the power and the might and the ability that he has. That, that views God with a humility that understands God sees past, present, and future. God knows more than I know. God can do more than I can do. <clears throat> God wants to be at work in my life. I can trust this God. Let me give you... Kind of a working definition for what it means to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord is to view Him in such a way that my awareness of His power and greatness causes me to relate to Him with reverence and awe in a way that impacts all of my decisions and actions. Like I, I view Him as the mighty God over all things, the powerful God, the strong God that He is, capable of all things. And that caused me to be in awe of Him, to worship Him, to revere Him in such a way that it changes the way I act and the decisions that I make. Because now I begin to make all of my decisions underneath this idea of the greatness of God, the power of God, the, the ability of God. With God, there, there are a lot of both ands that we have to straddle in order to fully understand His nature. And one of those is God is near. He, he's like a father to us, a good father. He's like a good father who cares about us and is close, but He is not our earthly father. He's, he's not like me. Right? He is reigning over all of creation. He is powerful and mighty. He will bring all things to its rightful end. He will judge those who work evil. Yes, he is near to me, but he's also reigning high. He's close to me, but he's on a throne. He's tender and gentle with me, and yet his anger is aroused at sin and evil. I, I've got to keep both of those things in mind. Some of us... Uh, read through First and Second Kings uh, through the summer uh, in our daily devotions that we do on Facebook. Um, as we're reading through First and Second Kings, there were times that God visited His judgment on people and nations and rulers, and some of it was hard to read. That God displayed His power; He He flexed His muscle; He stepped in and brought judgment. We we just started the book of Nahum, a minor prophet. Nahum is uh, about the prophet Nahum who is, who is saying to the people of Nineveh, God's about to judge you. God's about to bring destruction because of your sin. This is Nahum chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. 
the Lord is slow to anger. In other words, he, he's not irrational. He doesn't just pop off. He doesn't lose it with people. He's slow and patient with his anger, but he's great in power. Both of those things are true. <clears throat> the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Right? There, is, there is this both and with God, and, and we love to sing about, we love to talk about His love and His grace and His forgiveness, and that is all true of God. But Nahum says, this is also true of God. He is a powerful God. He is mighty and great and strong, and He will judge those who work evil. And so Solomon says, if you want to walk in wisdom, if you want to make wise decisions, if you want to navigate this life and the world that you live in, you need to keep God in that perspective. You need to keep that priority with God and your life under Him, recognizing that He rules and reigns and that His commands and His decrees and His principles are for your good. He knows better than you that they are for your good and you should walk under them. Not just the commands that you like, <clears throat> And not just the commands that you agree with, not just the commands that you understand, not just the commands that are easy for you, but also those that challenge you, those that are difficult for you, those that you want to push back on. Solomon said the way to walk in wisdom, it begins when you place all of your life under the greatness and power of God, trusting that He knows better than you the decision that you should make. Solomon also says in the second part of that verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You want to make wise decisions? Draw close to God. Knowledge of the Holy One. The better I know Him, the more I walk with Him, the closer I draw to Him, the more understanding I have, the more wisdom I have, the more discernment I have because I'm walking close with Him. Not just in the good times, in the challenging times. In the times that I'm tempted to run away from God. If I stay close to Him, if I keep listening for Him, if I keep walking with Him, Solomon says, over your life, that's going to produce understanding. That's going to produce wisdom. That's going to produce discernment. This is the foundation for all wise decision making in our lives. As a matter of fact, Solomon, as I said, he says this several times throughout Proverbs. This is chapter 1. He actually begins the book with this phrase. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 14. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are devious in their ways. You want wisdom? You want to be a discerning decision maker? Solomon's really clear. You've got to walk with the Lord. You have to be in reverent awe of the great God that He is. You have to trust that His ways are better than your ways, higher than your ways. He sees more than you see. You've got to submit your life humbly 
underneath the leadership of God. To put it in the terms of our would you rather question. I can't demand to drive my life and expect to gain wisdom. When it comes to my life, when it comes to my decisions, when it comes to my family, my direction, I can't demand to have the steering wheel all the time and think that I'm going to make wise choices. I've got to sit in the back. I don't mean we're passive decision makers. I'm not saying you don't have anything to contribute to decision making. I'm saying that your perspective before we get to the decision, your view is, God, I want you to drive, not me. God, I want to listen for what you want, not what I want. God, I want to go where you want, not where I want. I want to choose the way you would choose, not the way I want to choose. God, I want what you want. In fact, that's a that's a prayer maybe we should pray when we're making a decision. God, the decision's A and B, maybe C and D. It's one and two. But God, I want what you want. I know that, I know that you know the decision that I should make. God, I want what you want. And, and in that, I have to surrender somewhat the things that I want if they're not what God wants. I have to surrender that. Right? I have to begin to want what God wants for me instead of trying to convince God to want what I want for me. It's a different mindset. It's a different perspective on my life. God, I want to more and more get comfortable wanting what you want for me rather than I've already decided what I want. God, I want you to want this for me too. God, I want you to give this to me because it's what I want that's a different perspective than saying, God, I just want to know what you want, and I want to want that. I want to move in that direction. I want to say yes to that. There is a, there is a humility that comes to our life. There's a humility that comes from our decision-making when we realize God is reigning, and he sees, and he knows, and I could submit to what he wants. I can desire what he wants for me. Now, one of the reasons this is important is because we don't always see clearly what's on the other side of the decision we're about to make. We don't always see that clearly. So sometimes we don't see it clearly by design because God wants us to step out in faith. But sometimes we don't see it because the outcomes are hidden to us. Right? The, the ultimate outcomes of the choices we make, they're not always clear in the moment that we're making that decision. It looks clear. No, it just looks like two doors, this door and that door. We don't always see what's on the other side of that door. God does. God already knows that. God can be trusted with that information. God can be trusted to lead us to the door he wants us to go through. Some of us have had the experience of choosing a door and God not allowing that door to open. And about a year later or two years later, we are so grateful he didn't let that door open, right? Why? Because he knew what was on the other side of that door better than you did. And you wanted it and you knocked and you wanted to open it and God said no. And then you look back and you go, I'm glad that door didn't open. God knows what's on the other side of our decisions much better than you and I know. As Solomon is trying to make this point in Proverbs chapter 9, as, 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 as Solomon is emphasizing, look, it's the fear of the Lord. It's walking in humility with the Lord. He sets up the chapter 
as a beginning story and an ending story, and then the message about wisdom in the middle. Now, I need to talk to the ladies, uh, all the ladies. Uh, I, I need a word with you guys. You can tune out for just a second. Ladies, I've got good news and bad news. <clears throat> Here's the good news. When Solomon wants to personify wisdom, wants to make it a person, guess what Solomon calls wisdom? A woman. She and her, right? Wisdom, when he personifies wisdom, turns wisdom into this character, it's a woman. And of course it's a woman. Look at the guys that are here this morning. Of course, wisdom is a woman. Many of the guys here, myself included, our last words will be, watch this. <laughs> right? We should not represent wisdom. Ladies, you represent wisdom. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. When Solomon wants to personify foolishness, he also calls foolishness a woman. Right? I didn't make the rules. I didn't write the story. I'm just preparing you. You got a good thing, your wisdom, but you're also going to be foolishness. Let's read the story. This is Proverbs chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. There it is. She's a woman. Women has, wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live, walk in the way of insight. Right? So wisdom's personified as a woman. This woman has a house. She has prepared a party, a feast, food. Then she goes, the scripture says, to the highest point in the city, which is where you would go when you were going to proclaim something. You were going to invite something. You wanted everybody to be able to hear. So you go to the highest point in the city, and she extends an invitation. And the invitation is, let all who are simple come to my house. That's the translation <clears throat> of the Bible that I'm using, what she's saying is, let all of those who are confused, like if you don't know, if you're not sure, if there are things you're struggling with, if you don't understand, if that's you, if you're trying to make a decision, if, you're, if you don't know all the answers, come to my house. I'll help you. I have a feast prepared for you. You can sit down. I will help you find Wisdom to those who have no sense, right? Those who can't figure it out. Like you don't really know what you should answer, what you should do. You're, con you're confused by the situation that you're in. Come to my house, wisdom says. Come see me. Let me help you. Let me give you wisdom, which is, to me, it's just a, it's a beautiful picture of how available wisdom is to us, right? When, when Solomon paints this picture, he's saying, look, she's calling to you. She wants you to find her. Wisdom's not elusive. Like she's not running away and hiding from you. She wants you to find her. She wants you to come to her house. She's available and she's calling. Whenever you and I are in the situation of making a decision, here's what you can know. It may not be easy, but wisdom is calling to you. 
Wisdom wants you to find her, wants you to find the wise choice. And, and, and I, I understand that sometimes that takes time, and sometimes that's complex, but it's not because wisdom is trying to, to hide from you. She calls, she invites, come to my house. I have something great prepared for you. If you will just turn this way. And, and then at the end of the chapter, he turns the story around. This is verse 13. Folly is an unruly woman. Sorry, ladies. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So here's wisdom. She has a house. She has a party. And she's calling out. But there's another woman calling out too. And this woman has a house. And this woman has put together a party. And this woman is calling out at the highest point in the city. Right? Their voices are kind of overlapping one another. And, and she's giving the exact same invitation. Her invitation is, let all who are simple come to my house. Exact same invitation. Are you confused? You don't know what to do? I can show you. You're struggling to make a decision? You don't, you don't really feel like you understand? I can help you. I can, tell, I can explain it all to you. Then, once you get past that initial similarity to women, to houses, to parties, to invitations. But once you get through the door, things change. Here's a part of her appeal. She says, stolen waters are sweet. Well, maybe. Stolen waters may be sweet in the short term. But we all know that stolen waters turn to troubled waters really fast. And sweet water turns to bitter water really fast. You see this invitation that sounds the same as filled with deception. Stolen waters are sweet. Not always. And then she says... Food eaten in secret is delicious. But is it? Like food is food, right? You eat it in secret. You eat it in public. It tastes the same. Hamburger tastes the same. In secret or in public. Now, there, there may be some thrill, right? There may somebody be like initial excitement of no, nobody knows I'm doing this. Like I'm hiding this from everybody. And yet that thrill runs out really quickly. Because Solomon says, what's in the house is actually dead. Little do they know that the dead are there. That her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Which admittedly, that kind of takes a turn there at the end. But Solomon says, there's no life in the house. What's in the house is fake. 
You are being fooled into believing that this is real and you're going to get through the door and into the house and you're going to realize everything's dead in here. This is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not the sweet stolen water. This is not the delicious food in secret. There's nothing but heartache and brokenness and emptiness and death in here. The struggle is that both voices keep calling. Both voices offer an answer to your dilemma or to your desires. But only one's telling the truth. So right in the middle of these two stories, a story of wisdom, the story of foolishness, Solomon says right in the middle of the chapter, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You want to know how to choose the party that's real, the feast that's real, the feast that's going to nourish you, the feast that's going to lead to satisfaction and joy. Live your life under the rule and the reign of God. Make your decisions under the rule and the reign of God. Decide based on the commands of God. Revere, respect, be in awe of the principles of God. Those you understand and those you don't understand. Those you readily embrace and those you struggle with. Those you push back on. Those that are easy for you to fulfill and those that you have to work to fulfill. Live your life under those principles, within those parameters. And Solomon says, you'll make the right choice. Every day in our lives, there are voices calling out every day. Students going back to school, students going away to college, adults in the workplace. Every day, there's voices. There's voices in your world, in your immediate environment. There's there's voices on television and radio and voices on the internet. There's peers within your school system. And you know what they're saying? Hey, if you don't understand this, I'll explain it to you. Hey, if you're not comfortable with this, let me explain why this is a good idea. Hey, 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 if you're struggling, I can tell you what you should do. There's there's voices always. You don't understand? I already know. I can already tell you. Solomon knew we were going to hear those voices. And Solomon knew that many of those voices were going to be so deceitful and so destructive. And we were going to get through the door and it was not at all going to be what we were expecting. Because we were living our life out from under the commands of the Lord. The guidance of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. The voices are never going away. No matter how long you live, no matter how young you are today, no matter how much you attend church, the voices are always going to be there. Hey, if you don't understand, I can tell you all about it. You and I need the discernment of the wisdom of God. And the only way to have that 
is to live under his rule and reign and commands and principles. Let's pray. God, we are inundated with voices. They all promise to answer our questions. They all promise to fulfill our desires. But some of those voices are lying. Behind that door is not life and freedom and joy and peace. There's death. There's brokenness. There's shame. But wisdom's calling. Wisdom's available. Wisdom's encouraging. No, come this way. No, turn to the Lord. No, live your life under His rule and reign and power and might. Live your life under His principles and commands. And you'll find life. God, I pray that you would give us discerning ears when it comes to the voices that we hear. I pray for students going back to schools, those going away to college. Pray you give them discerning hearts because they live their life under the reverence of the Lord. I pray for anyone who's listening or watching online, who's here in one of these seats. I pray for anyone that's already stepped into the wrong house. And they're realizing this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not the direction I need to be going. God, give them the courage to turn around and go the other way. Wisdom is calling to them. Grace and love and forgiveness is calling to them back to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.